You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. My name is Cade Courtley, and this is Can You Survive This Podcast. This show is designed to teach you techniques that will increase your chances of survival in any life-threatening disaster scenario imaginable. Join me each week as I challenge my guests to see if they have what it takes to get out alive. Knowledge is power, people. Can you survive this podcast? Greetings, my fellow survivors. And welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. I'm your host, Cade Courtley. And if you hear my voice, you're still alive. That's my mission to keep it that way. Folks, very excited today. We've got Steve-O with us. And if you don't know who Steve-O is and you've been living under a freaking rock for the last couple decades, he's one of the uh, wild men from Jackass the Films and the TV series. And Steve-O, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, Cade. It's uh, an honor to speak with a man who I presume has killed many men. <laughs> that, is that right? I mean, is that, people find out that you're a, a, a SEAL, that you worked as a sniper. Like, it, it's safe to assume that you've killed people. Yeah, that wouldn't be a lie. Is it wrong or insulting to bring that up? I imagine it could, if, if that's something that you were going to get bent out of shape about, that you'd probably find yourself very uncomfortable a lot of the time, right? Like that's like the first question anybody asks, huh? Well, you know what? It's only happened one other time, and it was this prick agent in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And he, he opened up with, so how many guys have you killed? And nice. I said, it's about ready to be one fucking more. <laughs> good. So, so I'm off to a terrible start. It's all good, man. <laughs> it's all good. My, my only defense, and I, I dare say I believe it's a valid one, is that I was asking for the entertainment value of the, of the, the show. I'm trying to bring the heat. We're, get, we're giving the listeners what they want to hear, uh, or what I think they want to hear. I don't know. Well, t- I mean, body count, buddy. How many times have you cheated death? That's a, almost, that's a hypothetical body count. I'm uh, getting ready to, uh, and by the way, I've made myself super uncomfortable by starting that way, but I think that, that, uh, that that's, that's entertainment, you know? There we go. It's, it's entertainment. If I owe you an apology, let's get to that later. No, not at all, dude. We're going we're gonna to free flow stream of consciousness right now. If it's on your mind, I want to hear about it. All right. Um, I'm getting ready to make a video. I've, been, I've got this, like, this... Uh, like YouTube career, which I take like far more seriously than is probably healthy, but that I've done really pretty well with. And uh, down in my um, my editing room downstairs, uh, there's a big whiteboard with ideas, and it's this like is this terrible anxiety. Like I feel like I'm chasing uh, an avalanche, you know, or being chased by an avalanche. Like it's gonna bury me. Like this, like. I gotta run, I gotta run, like I gotta keep coming up with ideas to keep, you know, alive, you know, and like uh, whenever I, I put up a video, I used to cross them out and it would be this depressing exercise and watching the board be more and more crossed out and become more uh, uh, sparse, you know, like fewer things. And so then I, I, I scrapped that, I adopted a new approach, which is called erase and replace. When the video goes up, I erase it off and then I fucking have to come up with a new idea and, and fill it in. But there are certain bangers on this list, which I absolutely just, just belligerently just resist putting up because there, there's a, you know, a finite number of them. Well, give, give me one. Times I could have died right there. Times I could have died. That's a, a banger. Uh, my 10 worst injuries. That's one that's going to, going to really crush. Um, there's uh well, you know what we're going to do? We'll make this even cause I'm getting ready to bring it back to you. Those are two of the questions I've got for good. you. Let's get into 
you see that's how my, my intuition is correct these videos are going to perform because that's what people want to know um it's it's a tricky one the uh the, the my worst injuries is uh i mean that one's a little bit problematic because my worst injuries have been somewhat well documented and and uh you know but to get it all organized in one like uh sort of cohesive video with with you know good kind of uh you know talking head and you know, carrying it through the stories and it's it's going to be great and it's going to culminate in what was genuinely the most horrific one which was burns burns i think anybody yeah, yeah. you know on my tour of burn units uh which happened a couple of years ago um I, I heard again and again that people who have been stabbed people who have been shot will all unanimously agree that the worst pain is burns yeah you know i've had a bunch of my buddies that they've got you know they got blown up several times and yeah they will say that the burn hurt more than missing a limb yeah it just because it just Man, it's insanely painful, which leads me. Right. You know what? The first question I want to ask you when I found out we were going to be doing this was, how freaking sore are you in the morning? Ah, uh, you know, I, I'm actually in reasonably good shape. Uh, you know, as far as lasting damage goes, uh, it's it's really uh, you know, terrible uh, tattoos, awful fake teeth. And an esophageal condition called Barrett's esophagus. Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose my vocal cords are, are uh, in, in pretty bad shape. My voice just generally deteriorates as the years go on. I find myself very insecure about that as well, uh, which I brought up with you know, certain people who I trust, who I confide in. I work through, uh, you know, things that bother me. You know, I have this sort of a program of... of uh, you know this this approach to life and when things are bothering me i speak up to people who i trust and one guy in particular i brought this up with i said man uh two things that are on my mind is my deteriorating voice and my deteriorating appearance as i get older you know and and this guy said man uh he says your voice is trademark you know he says it's trademark. He said, dude, don't ever be apologetic about having that characteristic Steve-O voice. Uh, and he said, as far as your looks go and your age, I hate to break it to you, pal, but you were never a sex symbol to begin with. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, stunt work's a hell of a lot more fun than modeling anyway. Who, who gives a shit, right? <laughs> he says, you, you haven't gotten to where you are because you were gorgeous. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Well, you've done just fine, my friend. What, uh, getting, you know, I just turned 50 right. this year, which is. Oh, holy trip. shit, man, you look great. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I failed to answer your question. So to sum it up, I do feel re really reasonably intact. Um, I need to stretch more. Sure. Um, and, and as a result of having super tight hamstrings and kind of stubbornly not stretching, like that does equate to, uh, some lower back pain sometimes. Oh, I'm on, uh, I'm on that program too. Shockingly. And you know, I feel at least in the morning, I feel shockingly better than one would expect. Good. I've had chiropractors tell me that, uh, you know, being familiar with my body of work that, that, that I, they, they're like, dude, you're fucking Keith Richards. I don't get it. You know, they're like, I don't get it. How your, uh, spine doesn't look, um, worse. Of course, they said there is in my neck, you know, a little bit of a degenerative disc disease, and that's advanced somewhat. I had a pretty bad concussion recently, and at the hospital, they did all scans and x-rays, and they said, yeah, your, your degenerative disc disease is, uh, you know, advancing. And I said, okay, so what that means is that uh, I should hurry up and throw my body around, like, while I can, right? Like that that's that's advice from a doctor get it out of your system that's great well, i mean while i can throw it yeah. out you know because this is my belief Cade, that the body is not a temple rather it's an amusement park it needs to be ridden right <laughs> and uh you know so i feel really good that you know i'll be 46 next month 46 years old and uh I mean, granted, there's that's maybe only halfway through, so I might like live to regret 
my choices. However, I just feel like uh, I'm getting, I've gotten such intense value right out of it and so much bang for my buck in this body that I, 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 I for, for, for now, I don't regret a damn thing. Well, I tell you what, I love this concept too, because the reason I brought up the age thing is I think about when I was half this old, like when I was in my 20s. And I just, it was a gladiator mentality. You don't think when you're 20s about turning 50, you think about what right. you're going to do that next day and sure. getting the bang for the buck. And again, I talked about that gladiator mentality. I didn't, all right, if I'm going to get shot or blown up, it's going to happen, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make the most of it. And then you, I look back now and I say, that was fucking insane. I can't believe I did some of that shit I did. And I'm just wondering as we're both getting older, if you look back and say, damn, did I really do that? Well, yeah, I damn well did. And I made sure there was footage to prove it, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and I'm going with the stream of consciousness. I don't wanna uh, like screw up our flow, but I do feel compelled to go back. I'm still asking myself, why did I start off with the fucking you killed people business? You know, like I, I do feel like that was wrong and I'm sorry I did that. I feel like that. It's all right. And I understand it was, it was meant in jest and that's why I take it. If my concern was to make the show entertaining and to, you know, really like bring it to the, the value to the listeners, I feel like all I really did was accomplished uh, making them think, oh, what a douche, what a dick, <laughs> you know? But hey, so I've acknowledged it. We got to move forward. Oh, uh, you got to get out of your head on this one. It's no big deal, my friend. Okay. Mistakes are made, and, and that's just how I am, dude. I, I, my, I have this, this head that thinks entirely too much, entirely <laughs> quickly. It's imp I'm impulsive, and I just, ah, it's torture in my head. But yeah, we're moving on. Hey, um. A lot of my folks, I want to kind of give some, them some background about you, some of the folks that aren't as familiar sure. with you. You bounced around a lot when you were a kid. I understand, what, London, Brazil, Venezuela, Connecticut, Miami, Toronto. I probably missed some. That's a hell of a road show for a kid. I grew up in five different countries, yeah. Uh, I spoke three different languages uh, by the age of... I don't know, like uh, three or four. Really? Forgot two of them by the age of five. I remember my dad breaking down in my stats and he did it in a more impressive way. <laughs> like I lived in four different countries by the age of four. I don't know, but, but yeah, and, and my dad was a wildly successful corporate businessman heading up uh, international divisions of uh, American multinational companies, such as Pepsi-Cola wow. and um, Nabisco, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, Campbell Soup, Del Monte Canned Fruit. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a little bit counterintuitive to my, um, my persona, but I, I, I did, I, I was educated in like top-notch schools, like my uh, senior class in high school, my graduating uh, high school class, 80% of it went on to Ivy League universities. And I was really considered a, a bit of a loser for going to the University of Miami, which is uh, actually a pretty good school, um, where I failed out miserably and, and, and uh, did the whole homeless thing and then the clown college thing and well that's i want to hear i want to hear about clown college because when i first when i first started reading about you and, and doing some of the i i heard about you were accepted to a very prestigious ringling brothers barnum and bailey clown college and i thought they were messing with me on some of the background on this but i started digging that's no small feat tell me more about that well the way that it worked they uh and the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Billy Circus, I think, is now completely out of business, if I'm not mistaken. I think um, right. uh, which is kind of a, a godsend for the animals. I'm, I'm a, a real animal guy. But um, so uh, when the Ringling Circus was was uh, doing its thing, um, they had two units, meaning that at any given time, the circus was in two places. There was right. the red unit and the blue unit, and they each uh, had a year 
schedule of of fifty cities. So between both units, and then and then each year they would alternate. So the red unit would go to the cities that the blue unit was going to last year, and, and such, uh, which is you know allowed for them to bring a new show to the to each city, you know, every every other year. Um, but uh, so everywhere that the circus went, which was a hundred cities per year, they held auditions for clown college, which is why the, uh, the acceptance rate was so small was because there was just such volume. I mean, they held a hundred different auditions and, um, the audition that I went to was in, uh, Denver, Colorado. I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, to, to get into the Clown College that summer, I, I felt that I needed to hitchhike to Denver from Albuquerque, which I did. Showed up at this, this uh, Denver Center of the Performing Arts where they held the audition, and uh, they said, everybody line up against the wall. Don't worry about us. We're not um, you know, important or intimidating. We're just clowns. Um, but... Uh, but this camera that we're holding, they said, this video camera is the eyes and the ears of someone who's very important and whose time we are not going to waste. So one by one, jump in front of the camera, say why you want to be a clown and get out of there. You know? And uh, it just, they were like, again, there's 60 people in the room and I was watching people who would say, oh, like a big pair of big shoes. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, I just remember thinking, because my view was, that I wanted to be a stuntman. I wanted to be like a famous stuntman, which was like, there's no precedent for that. You know, stuntman is uh, inherently an anonymous thing. And here I wanted to be like a crazy maniac, famous stunt guy. It was just like, there was no precedent for what I was trying to do. And I was so determined to do it. And I just didn't know how it was going to happen. But I thought if I could get into clown college, that would further my goal of being a crazy famous stuntman because people would somehow take me more seriously if I was a trained circus professional. And uh, so I took it really seriously. And when I went in front of the camera, I said, uh, hi, my name is Steve Glover. I'm an aspiring stuntman from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I just got done hitchhiking all the way from Albuquerque to Denver because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life wondering if I had missed out on the biggest opportunity that I ever had. And you know, I was looking right into the camera. I delivered that. I did his perfect standing backflip, you know, back tuck, landed, so got the hell out of the way. And the uh, rest of the audition consisted of exercises, like they said. Um, there's an imaginary line down the middle of your body, and, and the, the right side of your body is uh, like lazy cow grazing in a field the other side of your body is a wild baboon throwing a temper tantrum and go you know and so it's like here this is like an impossible task which clearly was uh you know only for the purpose of weeding out people who are inhibited they just wanted to see people just cut loose like and for every exercise that they had us do i placed myself immediately in front of that fucking camera dude how old were you when you were doing this that was uh i was this okay it was spring break would have been march of 1997 and uh that was for clown college summer of 97 there's no such thing as luck there's just preparation meeting opportunity you know um and and i i got great opportunities and i capitalized them i think uh pretty efficiently but, uh, but, but in any case, so at the end of the audition, they told us that, um, that they were now going to give us an application to Clown College, which, which you, you had to audition to get, and that it was eight pages long, that it was, uh, you know, we had to answer questions like, when was the last time you cried and why? Like, really, it was pretty just, like, weird, like, this overreaching, like, uh, you know, kind of intrusive uh, application. And um, they, uh, they said, before we give you the application, we want to be very clear that uh, the job you're competing for pays, like, I think it was, like, $235 per week, and that you, that you would have to work 
for 50 of the 52 weeks per year, that you would live in a room that was like six feet by three feet on a train, you know, like that it was not a glamorous Dude, dude, who had it worse, the animals or the performers? Right. People would ask me, like, for years later, people would say, like, is Ringling abuse their animals? I said, for God's sakes, of course they abuse their animals. Look how they treat their people, you know? <laughs> and uh, and so they were just, they, they really made it like, don't even, unless you're so passionate about becoming a clown, unless you're so passionate in your dream for being a circus performer, don't even bother taking this application from us. And here I'm the most, like, fucking gung-ho guy in the room and i was like kind of i don't know right. i remember i i, I uh I actually got a, a greyhound ticket at home and i just like said oh, okay but they called me a couple weeks later and they said hey we were really impressed with your audition and we want we're waiting for your application when i got that call i said oh shit uh i filled it all out put together videos and photo portfolios and like really put together this crazy um application and I got in but yeah at the end of the day I want to say that uh what 30 33 clowns got in and uh well are we thinking maybe 3,000 audition about one percent wow dude see that sounds like seal training a little bit with that kind of attrition rate it's just and I mean how long was it how many guys made it to graduation for like Five percent, ten percent. I mean, geez. Well, uh, every all thirty-three clowns graduated. It would have made for like the best uh, reality TV show, like an Absolutely. elimination show kind of a thing, because it was like backstabbing. You know, if you could like hide someone's makeup or something, you know, like <laughs> like make them screw up. Like they didn't. I don't know if anybody hit anyone's makeup, but like if somebody else did something that was. Uh, that you know put them in a bad light no one else was uh trying to help out in that situation it was it, it was competitive in that regard um and we were competing for for 10 contracts it would have been the greatest reality tv show you know like yeah. three clowns graduated but only 10 got contracts now the thing was that like in the first week i demonstrated myself to not even want to be a clown but rather i wanted to be a crazy famous stuntman they're like almost like what's this guy doing here and uh and i was a, an active alcoholic i was only 23 years old but um that but the, in the and then we trained 14 hours a day and then i started drinking <laughs> you know like uh and 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 i would be doing my stupid stuff and like uh, you know i split my head open in the first week they had to take me to the hospital to get my uh head stapled together with five staples and I remember like the doctor was like, I'm going to get your anesthesia. I said, you don't understand. It's like fucking one in the morning. I get someone waiting for me in the waiting room. It's like, doesn't need to be fucking waiting for me. I said, pump them in. They, they, they couldn't even believe me. They were there, but they pumped one. And I was like, fine, pump them in. <laughs> so they put five staples in my head with no anesthesia, which wasn't even that big of a deal to me. Um, they said that it would be impossible to get the staples out without me coming back and if they stayed in too long it's going to get infected it's going to be all and i'm like there's no way that i'm you know calling in the favor let me go back to the hop so we I, i'm trying to get these staples out and we had like the clowns gathered around trying different things to like get until we figured out you clip them in half and then you take the two pieces out separately you got them out they said it would be impossible but i proved them it wasn't <laughs> By the end of this 10 weeks, I had fallen in love with the dream. Like I, I was like, okay, I bought into it. I was like, now I want it. Like I wanted nothing more than to live in that fucking six by three room. And I was like, I, I was really like, uh, I, I, I was, you know, converted. And um, I couldn't afford to get home. I was living in Albuquerque mm -hmm. and uh, I had to get home from Washington, DC. And uh, another clown had to lend me $20 for me to be able to pay for uh, a Greyhound bus ticket all the way back to Albuquerque with this fancy clown costume. The thing about, yeah, the, the thing about uh, Clown College was that it was free. There was no tuition. Yeah. They, wanted, uh, they wanted equal opportunity for people to be able to run away with the circus. They didn't want it to be like uh, you know, an elitist thing. And also it was like a big tax write-off, as I understand it. But 
and I, I had the clown costume on the Greyhound bus, and I went home, and I just didn't, I didn't get the contract, and the this fucking clown costume just hanging in the closet, and I got nothing to wear it for, and I was selling weed, and like my, it was just so, I was so sad. I, mean, I would have dreams where I was like uh, in the circus, and I'd wake up, and I wasn't. <laughs> I was like, I would wake up in this like dark just sad depression but it just motivated me more and more um i i personally believe everything happens for a reason and when stuff doesn't happen it doesn't happen for a reason and you know even though you're incredibly passionate about something and that and you're young that's a punch in the gut so what do you do do you just go into this pity party you bounce back harder than ever after your next dream even like in uh in very recent times i can think of projects which uh you know, are like have projects that are still on the burner, you know, like throughout and all the way back to this, this experience of rejection and failure. Uh, I have never done anything except double down, like 100%. I'm like, I double down. And uh, I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll show these people. You know, I remember like uh, at the University of Miami when I was failing out, I had this girlfriend. She was just watching me fail out. I, I wouldn't go to class. I was just getting drunk and not going to class. And she said, look, man, I, I, I'm looking into my future and I cannot see you in it. You know, like I'm looking at a guy who's not going to be successful. And I want to have things. I remember she said, I want to have things. <laughs> you know, hey, I can't be with you. Hey, you, uh, you, do you dodged a bullet, brother. She says, you want to be, she said, I see you. said, I can't see in my future. You're going to be a loser. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm dropping out to become a fucking famous crazy stuntman. I'm going to fucking show her. And I would make all my, my videos with my VHS tapes. And, I was like, and, and every year, I mailed one to her. <laughs> <laughs> I mailed her my new reel. Oh, fucking, oh, how's this for a fucking loser? Oh, did you send her an invite to the premiere of Jackass? <laughs> no, it wasn't that, No, it wasn't like that anymore at that point. But yeah. uh, I mean, it was just like creepy and disturbing even that I was so obsessed with like proving to this girl that I wasn't a loser. But that was as that was such a fire in my belly. And uh, and I did the same thing when I didn't get the contract with Clown College. And I had some other stuff going in the skateboard industry, like just some sponsors that would give me free skateboard gear and clothing and, and include me in uh, promotional stuff for skateboard companies like skate videos. And that was kind of getting me out there a little bit, but I wasn't making any money and it was only in the skateboard industry. But uh, I just doubled down and I, just, I was like, oh, you know, I remember uh, got back from clown college in maybe August of 97 and like September of 97, I got my, we had the weekend of glory and I was my first time setting myself on fire and doing a simultaneous fire breathing front flip off the roof of a two-story building into five feet of water in a pool that was less deep than I stand tall and uh it went great like and, and I and it was that same weekend I auditioned for the David Letterman stupid human tricks and, and like smeared Vaseline all over my whole body, doused myself with rubbing alcohol and, and did uh, in my boxer shorts, and set my entire fucking body on fire just in my boxer shorts, which is my skin. I did a fucking backflip and, and we just kept going with like, this, you know, me blowing fireballs. It was all about fire and jumping off buildings and doing acrobatics at that time. But I was just like bumped it up a notch and like, always working on putting me like updating my reel and making it more badass and there was like increments like new chapters or there was just like the whole like uh comprehensive you know lifetime reel just got more dense and more you know intense and uh i worked on it so hard i doubled down and i just did some more intense shit and, and i took the like the same way i sent the videotapes to that girl i sent my videotapes to the fucking circus to the clown to the clowns who did get contracts so like just so you know i might not be in the circus with you guys but look what i am doing like it's like i'm the, it's like thank god i'm not over there because i'm killing it dude i tell you what man i uh, the value of having a chip on your shoulder and somebody saying you can't do something i remember 
I was a late bloomer, so I was still growing in college, skinny as could be, and I was doing the pre-training stuff, pre-selection stuff for buds, which is still training. And I went in, and I had to go in this hyperbaric chamber to make sure you didn't. Some people they have a problem with oxygen under pressure. It's just some people are born that way. So I went in, did it, came out, and overheard this guy. He's like, "God, I didn't make. I didn't know they made seals that skinny," and that fucking never left. I was like. All right. I, I thought about that every day in Hell Week. I thought about that. I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, right after graduation, I walked over and I found that motherfucker. And I said, check that out. And the power of you can't do something. Yeah. It's just, no. And it's weird, too, because it's not a particularly healthy mindset. You know, it's like there's like a, for me at least, like there was like a, a real punitive you know, like I'm gonna punish these. I'm gonna show them. I'm gonna get revenge. Yeah, you know? but it keeps like, it keeps the fire burning. And you're right; it's probably not healthy. But at that time in my life, it was good enough. But hey, man, I wouldn't have it any other way, dude. Yeah. I would like. I'm really, really. Uh, I'm really grateful, and I'm I'm that way to this day. You know, like um, I just have so much to prove, and and um, the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. I'll take the twice as bright. Sure, I mean, dude. Sure, man. It seems the closer we get to death, the more we cling to life, you know? And, and regardless of how low the quality of life seems to get. And I have a personal experience this because my mom suffered an aneurysm and, and she survived. It left her like, like terribly disabled, both mentally and physically. And um, and she had bed sores, which was the worst thing. Uh, she was in pain and she was just like, just really struggling and, and uh, suffering like terribly. And it was my mom and, and, and it just, it, like the trauma I suffered from that, I'm still not, I'd necessarily healed from it at all. But it was like, she, she just clung on to life when life, uh, you know, and it just seemed seemingly there was nothing to live for. There was no quality of her life. She was in terrible pain and suffering, but so afraid to die. And that, uh, you know, there's, I think that, that, that people are pretty divided. Like some people are afraid right up until the very end. And some people are just kind of like cool about it, you know? And I think the difference between those two uh, camps is, is really, it boils down to faith, you know, yeah. like, uh, faith that everything's somehow the way it's supposed to be that everything's going to be okay that we're taken care of you know and um yeah like uh i really you know I, I, faith is important to me man like i really i i don't want to like ascribe you know my values or feel like what i would be like if i was 96 or, or you know like i don't know you know for all well, I know I would cling on to life just like my mom did. I mean, sure. I took after, took after her in so many ways and it seems like more likely that I would. But I can't let fear dictate what I'm about, you know? sticking with the topic of death a little bit but we're going to do it in a little bit more of a lighthearted way here on the show we do something called hypothetical survival world and in many ways it's kind of like the choose your own adventure books i'm going to put you in a scenario you're going to get 10 points for every right decision and you're going to get minus 10 for every wrong and at the end of this we'll see if you survived this podcast all right, I'm sure that I won't, but uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I made this one custom for you. You ready to? Are you ready to hear your situation? Sure. All right, Steve-O, here you are. You are heading towards your car after dinner or a public event, something like that, and you're walking down an alley, and some super fan comes up and asks you for an autograph. And you're like, no problem. They hand you something, you sign it, you hand it back, and they've got a gun right on your chest, and they say to you, "Get in your fucking car right now." So, decision number one, are you going to try and disarm this super fan who, P.S., is definitely on something, or are you going to go ahead and get in the car? I mean, that's a rock and a hard spot right there. I can see both scenarios going pretty bad. That's the way we play but, this game. Um, 
I can see both scenarios going pretty badly, but uh, I but but I think that human nature like uh, dictates that you get in the car. Correct. That's ten points so far. I mean, and 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 like the philosophy being that if you do something, I mean, it, like he kind of kicked it over the line where he's definitely on something, like quick like you know con confrontation physical like confrontation like you just see the gun going off whereas if you get in the car i mean you're not at, like you know in a good situation but now you've got a little bit more time to maybe like uh you know appeal to whatever reason the person might have all right well steve you nailed it so what you're doing in a situation like this time is your friend and you are buying yourself some time if you're gonna get shot, it's gonna happen right in the beginning of the confrontation. The longer you can stretch that out, the better it's gonna be for you. So, correct, that's 10 points. All right, so, you go ahead, you're driving. Do you go ahead, like you discussed earlier, try to befriend this person, you know, try to get to know him a little better, try and bring it down a notch, or do you just stay quiet and do what you're told? If, if the person, the person's agitated if they're kind of raging if they're like you know and then if there's a lot of negative energy coming at you you're only going to really like recirculate that energy so best to do. all right yeah. so you're you're up 20 points already two okay. for two all right so you are driving your car and you don't know where you're going are you going to go ahead follow the rules of the road drive safely or are you going to try and do some stuff like Maybe swerve across the center line, maybe turn your high beams on, something like that, in an effort to maybe get somebody's attention, albeit subtle. I don't see a lot of benefit in that. Uh, like the goal would be like to break some traffic laws so that you get pulled over. And like, if you do get pulled over, like, hey, what do you want to do? Like you pulled over and then maybe the cop's going to come rescue you. And then now you've just put this guy in a potential firefight with cops and you're sitting there and that, that just doesn't seem uh, helpful. So no, we're gonna drive like, like very normal. Three for three, my friend, that's awesome. Okay, it gets worse. You pull up to a driveway, you're at this home, you have no idea what neighborhood it's in. And basically he says, all right, turn off the motor and get out. Okay, now he's directed me to the specific spot. Yeah, you've, so pulled, where, 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 up, you've, you've pulled up at this guy's house. Okay. You're in his driveway. He says, turn it off and get out. You're going to make a run for it, or are you going to go ahead and head inside with this guy? Unknown home. Who knows what's going on inside? Again, this guy's twisted up, and he's got a gun on you. But this might be an only opportunity for you. I mean... You can't outrun a bullet. Uh, you can't even necessarily outrun the guy. We're going to try to appeal to whatever reason he's capable of having, so that we're going to stick, we're going to go in. Buddy, you are four for four. Congratulations. Here's the reason why, and you can kind of argue with, you could argue this point either way. This might be my only opportunity because I have no idea if I'm ever going to come out of that house. But going back to let's try and de-escalate a little bit, the more time I get, the better chance I have of surviving. So in this one, although you could argue either one, I'm going with head on inside with this guy. Okay, so you get inside this house. There's a bunch of kids running around. The place is a freaking mess. And you're thinking, this is not going to end well. It's really starting to kick in. Well, and the kids are a good sign. What, like, uh, yeah, the fact I mean, that there's kids there, like that's promising. It might be, because you have the decision between grabbing one of these kids as a hostage to tell him to drop the gun or you continue to cooperate you take something that might be of value to him or nah we're gonna stick with uh we're gonna stick with being mellow excellent that's the right answer you're five for five you got 50 points my biggest reason would be I couldn't live with myself if something I did got sure. an innocent kid killed. So you're going to continue to ride this wave of let's keep buying time. Maybe this guy will sober up a bit, come to his senses. 50 points. Okay, it gets worse. You decide to cooperate. You're not going to put any kids at risk. 
the gunman has led you up to a second story room. He puts flex cuffs on you, which are, you know, zip ties, and he's thrown a hood over your head, and he says, get in the corner and shut up. And he's left you there for hours. And you hear the noise downstairs. It sounds like they're still partying. Finally, somebody comes in the room, and you can do one of two things. You say to yourself, hey, man, can I use the bathroom? Or you just act like you're asleep, and maybe he'll lose interest. Can I use the bathroom? I think it's a pretty reasonable thing to uh, to ask. You probably have to use the bathroom, too. Uh, I think that that's the safest way to engage. So, yeah, let's go with can I use the bathroom? Dude, you're six for six at 60 points. Here's the reason being, uh, you've been in this situation for a while now, several hours. And so at this point, you need to start thinking about options for getting out of this situation. If you just act like you're asleep, you're no better off than if you ask a question and he might just say, go fuck yourself. So you ask to go to the bathroom and he says, yeah, all right, man. So he leads you to the bathroom and you're basically like, you know, come on, man, just, you don't have to watch me. So he leaves you alone in the bathroom so you're able to get the flex cuffs off what do you do do you get ready to attack this guy and fight who's still armed and still partying or do you put the flex cuffs back on and say hey i'm done in here yeah definitely more useful to pick your time to be able to get out of them and know you can get out of them you put them back on and don't let on that you can get out of them seven for seven right there and you just said it you were able to do something that he didn't know about putting yourself in a better position than trying to push the issue with a guy who's got a gun and therefore giving yourself some options down the road knowing that you can get these things off again Right, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got, uh, he, he just left you alone for ages, and when you're alone, you've got a lot more opportunity. You nailed it. All right, he takes you back to the room, leaves you alone. You go ahead, you get the flex cuffs off, pull the hood off, there's a small window in there. You could crawl through it, but there's a 20-foot drop. There's no, oh, I can do a dino move, and I can maybe scale this. It's nothing. It's a concrete wall, and 20 feet below you, there's a bunch of rock. Do you try to hang and jump from that window, or drop, I should say, hoping that you're not going to end up with a couple compound fractures? Or do you go ahead and try and slowly move through the hall inside the house to look for another option? I've had compound fractures. Uh, like, it, like they, they're, they're not good, man. Um, I'm, with, I'm with you there. So, yeah, we're, we're going to... We're, we're gonna we're gonna cruise over to the door. We're gonna like see if it's open. We're we're gonna like open it a crack. We're gonna see if we can like really inch our way through without blowing our cover. You're eight for eight right now, and that's absolutely it. What good are you gonna do if you get out that window and then you're sitting there on the ground with two broken legs? You're not going anywhere, and they're gonna hear you screaming probably. Uh, yeah. And so. You're going to go ahead and you're going to move throughout the house. So you continue to hear the noises downstairs. Here's your options. You know you're still too high to get off the second floor. So are you going to slowly head downstairs? Or are you going to see if you can maybe find a phone upstairs to make a phone call? The phone is sounding pretty good. Uh, I think um, at this point, it's important to... uh, determine like you said that you described partying is going on so uh you know if the house was completely silent the phone would be a considerably less viable option because they would hear anything you're going to say into it if the house has uh, a lot of you know noise going on partying maybe some music then we can more uh, reasonably expect to get away with a 911 call uh, I'm not really familiar with calling 911 too much, but uh, I, I kind of, uh, something tells me that you don't even have to know the address you're at, that they just automatically track the call and they can come right away. So uh, based on how much noise there is in the house, I'm thinking that uh, if, if there is some noise, we're going to go ahead and try and pull off a 911 call. And then we're going to uh, explain that, um, 
we're in a hostage situation that uh that our captor does not know that we're on the phone that we need them to physically break into this house and come get us out buddy you're nine for nine that's the way to do it if you can let law enforcement deal with the problem instead of you having to deal with the problem much much better for a number of reasons unfortunately the line is dead you got nothing so you continue to move down the hallway upstairs you start heading down the stairs slowly you see a front door you can hear people off to the left you can hear them and all of a sudden you're halfway down the stairs and you get spotted by one of the kids do you run back up to the room put your hood on put your flex cuffs on and see how it pans out with some more time have you been doing or do you say this is my only shot and I'm going to run for it well there's A, B and C here and A being <laughs> A being you go back up and put your hood back on that's not going to help you we don't know if that kid is uh, friendly or unfriendly you know for, for all we know the kid might be as much of a hostage as we are so uh, well let me then, okay let me scale it down for you a little bit you see him he sees you he runs towards the noise downstairs. Oh, okay. So he's going to alert our captor to the fact that we're... Uh... He might. He saw you and it made him scared. Is he going to tell the guy? Is he going to run to his room and not say anything? He just knows. I mean, that definitely that definitely increases the urgency. I think uh, he's, he's spotted us. How many other did only the one spotted us? It's just one kid who saw you mid-stairway got scared and ran the other direction. No idea what he's going to do, but you've been spotted by a kid in that house. All right. Well, we're halfway down, so it doesn't serve us to like just stay halfway down the staircase. Definitely don't want to go back up because, you know, we've come this far and, and if, if our cover is blown, if we're, if we're then, you know, then like, we're, we don't get anywhere going backwards. So, we're definitely going to keep going down the stairs. Uh, at this point, it's less sneaky because, uh, you know, being sneaky is, you know, we're not sneaky anymore. So we're going to probably want to, like, not run or seem like, but maybe we're just going to walk a little bit calmly and naturally as if we belong there. Like, uh, see if that gets us to the door. Like, uh, you, you're looking at a door that's about 30 feet away. Are you running for it or are you heading back upstairs? That's all you got, man. You don't know if the kid's going to do anything. You got a door that's 30 feet away down the stairs or you're heading back up to come up with another option. What are you going to do in your 10th and final option? Uh, I don't like the idea of running, but I do like the idea of continuing forward towards the door. Okay. Well, congratulations, Steve. You survived this podcast. Good job, man. I mean, it was, that was well thought out. Great decision. Right. Making. Like, like there's no like running at that point. Like, what are you going to, why are you going to run? Like that just draws that, that, you know, what you do at this point, you like pretend like you live there. Like you walk down like as calmly and naturally not draw any like weird attention. Nothing's unusual. And you know, unless if you're running, then then you're triggering off alarms like something's something. Well, I mean, that's the fun part about hypothetical survival world. Sometimes there's you can run, maybe you can jump, you can do this. But what you did was you thought through each one and made a smart decision and ended up with a hundred points. Hey, buddy, well, tell tell me more about uh, your podcast. I want to hear about it. It's called Wild Ride with Steve-O. Uh, not sure when when this comes out and, and that's kind of the nature of the thing but as we record this i've uh put up seven episodes so far i'm very new to it and i'm really enjoying it man um so uh yeah dude it's it's exciting man like i'm all in the digital space now with the youtube channel with the podcast and um uh, very excited to be uh, on the verge of, of uh, introducing a paywall to my website to release uh, this um, piece of content, which uh, was I was rejected on. Fucking Netflix didn't want it. 
<laughs> Remember what we talked about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and when that when when dude, it's just so crazy because I, I honestly feel like it's like uh, the way Dr. Dre describes his album, The Chronic. It got passed on everywhere he brought it. And he's like, no, dude, it's dope. And it was. It was, it was fucking dope. And like I'm sitting on the chronic. You know, I'll tell you what it is. It's uh I got into stand-up comedy. I've been touring, uh, doing stand-up comedy for, uh, you know, almost 10 full years. And at first it was like a complete departure from what I, what I'm known for doing. And I recognized it as such. And I'm like, I'm going to establish myself as a stand-up comedian and I'm going to make it worth it because, uh, I've had this crazy experience in life and, and, you know, I'm going to tell stories that are just juicy and a hundred percent true. And I'm going to be willing to admit things that nobody in their right mind would be willing to admit. So right there, I've, I think I've, I'm working on a, a compelling argument for why it makes sense to go see Steve-O do stand-up comedy. And I approached it that way. And I really let it rip, man. I really, and, and I was just like fighting for it. And, you know, I'm working really hard at it. I got my first comedy special. I was sure that my that it would I'd be established and respected, but the comedy special came and went, and and it didn't really change like uh, my career. It didn't really change, you know, my the public perception. You know, that they still nobody thought of me as a stand-up comedian, but I didn't let that deter me, and I just kept going. I kept going and as I put together the next show to tour with. You know, I put together and. You know, again, it was, uh, you know, really juicy, crazy experiences, 100% true with jokes built in, like a legitimate bona fide stand-up act. And I was just like, all right, I'm still going, I'm doing it. But one night it occurred to me as I was performing this, this new act, holy shit, I thought, like virtually all of these stories that I'm telling in this act are things that happened on camera. So like, I thought... I got so excited. It was while I was performing one night. I can't remember where, but I just thought, what if my next comedy special was like any comedy special on stage, telling the jokes, this performance, but edited into the special in post interstitially, the actual footage of the story I'm telling with all of the jokes, creating the act as it unfolds a fully multimedia stand-up comedy special, which was like, my fucking head exploded. I was so excited about this. And uh, I started videotaping my performances and editing the interstitial footage in just to see how it worked. And it worked every bit as well as I thought it would. And the, the craziest part about it was that I was really self-conscious prior to that. I was like unwilling to, to watch the, the tape of me doing stand-up because it's just uncomfortable, you know? Mm -hmm. But when I got into this process of editing the footage into the act, it forced me to watch the tape, to study it, and 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 in short order, just the the progression at that point was so much accelerated because I saw these things that these little things that would fucking bug me, and I'd stop doing them. I would just address, you know, like I I improved in as a performer so much, and like, and then as I I, produced, I said, man. It's so great, but but it's like memory lane kind of stuff. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go and film new stuff. So like for each bit, it's like, uh, you know, like an archival old thing. I'm going to let that inspire like an entirely new and like like elevated crazy thing. No, but Steve, so th there's your new whiteboard. That's it. I mean, it, no, but it's it's all that footage is now your new whiteboard, you know? Right, but but then, so it was so, and, and then I so I, I set about filming new new and elevated stunts, and building them into my act. So the act was like an old thing and a new thing, but all cohesive, flowing together, and uh, and, and I ended up um, I ended up getting the entire Jackass cast together for the first time since we lost Ryan Dunn. They duct taped me to a billboard truck and fucking drove me down the highway to my fucking show, taped to the side of a billboard truck after hitting baseballs at me. Uh, I had all these guys come out on stage doing live stunts during this show with all the footage edited into it. Dude, it's the chronic. It's the fucking chronic. And as, I, as we record this right now, I could be as little as two weeks away from putting it out 
on my own website, uh, like the, the Louis CK model of direct to consumer distribution. And um, I couldn't fucking sleep last night. I was up until like 5.30 in the morning because I'm just sitting here so excited about the potential for this model. Not even that uh, it's about like how much money that I could end up making from it. I mean, that's a big deal, of course, but it's just like, fuck, I'm, like, I'm going to show them. I'm going to fucking show them. Like, and, uh, and, and the, what's crazy is that I filmed this special back in 2018, you know? And then I put together a whole, when, when Netflix didn't want it in 2018, I doubled down. I said, you know what? I'm going to film the fucking next one. And now there's no memory lane. Now there's no, now it's called Steve-O's bucket list. The fucking, the, the, the crown jewel marquee stunts that were just too over the top to even go through with. And I went through it and, and I've got that ready to go uh, as an episodic series, the bucket list where each item on the bucket list gets, own, it gets its own half hour episode. So in any measure of success with this, comedy special on the direct-to-consumer model i'm ready to fucking turn around and repeat the process six times over with six episodes of the bucket list series and with any measure of success at that i'm already ready to go straight into production on my own with my own team to film uh, a follow-up series called gone entirely too far where now it's not even the bucket list now there's nothing even like about like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. It was on my bucket list. No, now I'm coming up with shit that is like, like I'm getting fucking breast implants to find out how long I last before I got to have them off. <laughs> you know, oh, like buddy. that's, going, well, that's I mean, going too far. I mean, and, and so- But look what, what it is, Steve. It's the same thing we've been talking about. Passion, somebody said, no, you can't and never quitting buddy i hey man i cannot thank you enough for your time it was awesome chatting with you everybody check out wild ride with steve-o can't wait to see the new project i know it's going to be huge everything you do works out my friend and just keep it up well hey thank you for that Cade. you know and, and I, I do this on my own podcast i do it i like to do it when i remember it on uh other podcasts which is to thank people for hanging in there, you know, like retention rate is something that, that, that does get tricky when we're dealing in this long form kind of content. And, uh, you know, I look at the graphs, the analytics and stuff, and, and, you know, it falls out. We lose people along the way. So the people who are still listening to this podcast right now, listening, watching, however it goes, like they, they deserve a real thank you you know, for hanging in there, you know, they are the true, true fans. And uh, I always like to, to, to get a sense of how, like how they feel about what we did um, by asking them to shoot me a tweet uh, for all the, the, when I tell stories about my, uh, about my experience in life and it's the crab had some crazy experience and, and I'm not bashful about uh, being candid and admitting things that are, that most people would never admit which is why my book is particularly juicy, filled with shocking felony arrests and fucked up drug abuse and perverted groupie sex and everything that I aspired to be as a, a, a scumbag <laughs> attention whore. And uh, ultimately it turned into a bit of a, uh, you know, rise and fall redemption story of recovery. And uh, it's meaningful for me to get it out there. So I like to promote that on podcasts too. If anybody wants to really get the, the juicy story, I autograph every single copy of the book, which I sell at my website. It's stevo.com. And uh, it's always meaningful for me to get, the, get that out there. So um, I love to encourage people to grab an autographed copy. Plus I make my autograph look like a wiener, like shooting stuff out of it. <laughs> Uh, which, which I'm always tickled by, but um, yeah, and I, and I want to tell you again, a, a pause. It, it did feel pretty inappropriate and shitheaded the way I started this. Uh, no, man, with, come uh, on, honestly, you just uh, let that one go. It's okay. All right. Well, you know, I'll let you, I'll let you run into my fist. Next time. <laughs> How's that sound? <laughs> hey folks, the best way to support our show is to subscribe, rate and review on Apple podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. You can also check out our YouTube channel for video content of all of our episodes. So ring that bell to subscribe. And if you have any survival questions you want answered, 
Just leave it in the comments so you can be a survivor, not a statistic. Steve-O is a survivor. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. Hey, brother. Thank you, man. I look forward to meeting you in person, brother. Take care. Absolutely. See you, buddy. Can You Survive This Podcast is a Cavalry Audio production recorded live from The Bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Kate Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Kate Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti.